When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Sorry about the noise. My neighbour's sanding his deck. My motto? Don't work on your deck. Play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck. Low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, good morning, kia ora, and welcome into the show. Ricardo Paul in for Ian Smith, who is, of course, uh, over in Australia for the Chapel Hadley Series. Game two of that three-match series is this afternoon from 4 o'clock. We have coverage uh, right here on SENZ for you, so you can stay tuned and catch all the cricket action. Coming up on today's show, Alistair Hunt. Former New Zealand Davis Cup captain is going to join us after uh, not too not too far away. Actually, we're going to talk the U.S. Open quarterfinals. Uh, Francis Tiafo uh, continuing his fantastic form. Rafa Nadal out in four. Then Andre Rublev this morning out in three. Nick Kyrgios, uh, we talked about him and how potentially the draw was opening up for him, uh, but Karen Karchinov frustrated him yesterday, beat him in five in the end, and Nick destroyed a record or two at the end uh, in frustration. We'll talk to Alistair about all of that. Also, Grace Dzwicki, uh, was Nikki, I said, Shay, from the Wellington Phoenix, is going to join us. She is uh, one of the recent signings for the Phoenix women's team. We'll catch up with Grace, talk to her about her struggles with mental health last year, how she nearly quit the game, and and her return to the Knicks, and of course the Under-20 World Cup, where she scored that great goal against Mexico as well. One of the greats of New Zealand motorsport, Paul Radisich, joins us after 10 o'clock. We'll have another panel today with James Regan and Aidan McLaughlin as well. And then you talk greats, Kendra Coxedge, is there a, a, a bigger goat in New Zealand women's rugby? Farah Palmer, maybe, I guess you would, you would say, you'd throw that out there, but Kendra Coxedge, fantastic player. Going to bring up her 100th game for Canterbury this weekend in the Farah Palmer Cup final. And then she's going to bow out of all rugby after the World Cup. We're going to talk to Kendra after 11 o'clock today. There's also your opportunity to win a $100 TAB bonus bet with Stumped. That is all coming. Did we, we didn't give it away yesterday, did we? I stumped him yesterday, remember? Did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh man, this this week is really dragging on. Yeah. <laughs> As you can tell, Logan paying plenty of attention and 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 looking forward to Friday at about midday by the sounds of things. But there you go. So that is what's coming up on the show right now though. It's time for this.
You know what I reckon? I reckon Peter Volandis is taking the piss. Surely, he's got to be. As an administrator of both horse racing and rugby league, he's shown incredible vision at times and taken both sports forward with that vision. But he's let himself and the NRL down badly with this ridiculous call on the Thailand May suspension. Thailand May has been convicted of assault causing actual bodily harm of a fan. Peter, you've cited fans as the reason to suspend his two-game suspension until the start of next season. What about the fan that was hospitalised? Did you ask him? Is he bothered that the Panthers would be without Taylor May? I seriously doubt it. The timing of this decision brings the NRL into disrepute. Never have the NRL applied a rule that allows a suspension to be suspended due to finals footy. To do so now in week one of the final series gives the organisation cowboy status. This has been a police matter that's gone before the courts and ended in a conviction. But the NRL give May a pass to play finals footy because, according to Volandis, it's what the fans want. What about the fans of the Eels? I'm, I'm one of them. I'm sure they don't want to see Tyler May receive a get-out-of-jail-free card. And what about fans of the Roosters? State of Origin prop Lindsay Collins is serving a suspension for a hip drop that'll only see him return this season if the Roosters make the grand final. The bloke wasn't even arrested, yet he's punished more than a bloke with a criminal conviction. Peter Vlandes, you've got this horribly wrong and alienated the fans of 15 teams for the sake of your defending champions. Past nine here on Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in for Smithy and joining us now to talk tennis is Alistair Hunt, uh, former New Zealand Davis Cup captain. G'day mate, how are you? Yeah, good, good, you? Yeah, good, thanks mate, good. I, how, how are you going mate? Are you in a better state than uh, Andre Rublev right now having uh, witnessed that Francis TFO result? Mate, wouldn't you? Uh, it's amazing how the old crowds are these days, you're just getting more and more vocal and be a bad time uh, not being an American there when you're playing TFO, wouldn't it? <laughs> Take a pounding out there. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know um, how closely you were watching it, but I noticed that the last, I think it was the last change of ends, Rublev was that frustrated. It looked like he was actually crying into his towel. He was he like he looked on the verge of tears, and then he grabbed a tennis ball and started biting it like an apple. I, I'm assuming to <laughs> to stop from crying out. Um, have you seen anything like that before? Oh yeah, sometimes <laughs> I might have done it myself over the years at some stages. <laughs> Who knows? It's just lucky there's no coverage of it around, <laughs> mate. Uh, Francis Tiafo, to be honest, uh, Alistair, I was a bit filthy because. Uh, you know, how many times have we seen in the past a bloke like Francis TFO, you know, seated somewhere in the 20s, uh, upset someone like uh, Rafa Nadal and then blow out in the next round? You know, it's like they've played their final. Um, he was up against yeah. Rublev, in the, who's a ninth seed, who, who's won 6-3, six, 6-3, uh, six, three, six, three in the last round. I'm like, here you go, guaranteed. Boom, I was all on Rublev. Didn't happen. No, no, fair enough. You're 100% right, but... Uh... I mean, this TFO just, you sort of look at it the way he's playing and sort of think, you know, might be his time a little bit. And the way that draw's sort of opened up and what's going on there, you'd nearly have to say, uh, 
you know, he's a real chance, I think, going forward, and the support he's going to get out of that crowd is just going to be unbelievable. So it's, uh, it'll be a great spectacle and be a, be a good spot to be, I think, when he gets back on court. Yeah, well, I think the way the draw works, he's going to play Alcaraz in the semis, which is a bit of a pity because it feels like that should probably be the final. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's still, uh, you know, Alcaraz and Sinner still to sort of get, because they haven't played yet, have they? No, no, they play uh, at about 11, I think, it gets underway that game. Yeah, so, I mean, I think, and Sinner's probably, uh, I don't think he'll be too scared of Alcaraz. He can, you know, and with a, with a quicker court and the way he's hitting the ball, uh, you know, he's probably a real chance in there as well. But, um, I mean, such an interesting spectacle, and I guess the, the different element for Alcaraz is he's playing for number one in the world as such. So, you know, there's real pressure on those guys and it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how they handle it and see what happens. Yeah, well, I mean, I was looking at Alcaraz. He is uh, the favourite um, against Sinner, paying $1.55. Um, yep. Where do you reckon Sinner can hurt Alcaraz? Is it with the serve? Yeah, and I just think the pace of his ball, like, he's... he's not scared just to step in and take that ball early, and he's so dangerous, you know, forehand and backhand. Like, that guy, you know, they're both hammering the ball, but I think the thing with Sinner a little bit is he can flatten that ball off and really penetrate the court. Uh, you know, it's hot over there. Those balls are flying, coming through pretty quick and, and high. Uh, but, you know, then you've got the other side where Alcaraz is just such an unbelievable athlete and just sort of runs everything down, and his defence is, is, you know nearly second to none at the moment. He's sort of uh, probably begging Djokovic, Djokovic a little bit, you know, defence-wise. So, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a real interesting game. But just this, the extra little bit of pressure, you know, now it's opened up that, you know, if he carries on and wins, he's number one in the world. It's got to be, got to be in the back of the mind a little bit, you know, as well as trying to win his first Grand Slam. So, yeah, definitely a, a tough spot. Yeah. Massively tough spot for for him. Uh, I mean, I guess we're going to find out just how mentally strong he is. I mean, these guys no doubt have mental coaches. That's as, at almost that top two inches is as important as everything else, right? Yeah, I think you know, like you're hundred percent right. I think, and for these guys, it's it's probably the most important at the moment. You know, you can't fault these guys anywhere in their game. You know, athleticism, the way they're hitting the ball, the the technique sides, all all rock solid. So. Uh, you know, for both these guys, it is just that top two inches and, and who gets off to a strong start. Um, you know, obviously both great athletes, but it's uh, just getting late in the tournament. You know, Alcaraz, I think, does a, a little bit more running. He's probably a little bit more physical out there, so it's just trying to see whether he can physically sort of hang on and, and go through there. But he's just on such a, a ride this, this whole year, isn't it? Like, it's unbelievable to see a guy like this go. So... He really deserves, I think, to get through. And if he could be number one in the world, it'd just be, um, you know, rightly so for what he's done so far. Yeah, you know, just looking at the draw now, yeah, the winner of Sena Alcaraz does play TFO in the semi final. The other side of the draw, Casparud um, beat Berrettini pretty comfortably yesterday. Uh, only spent two and a half hours on court. He'll uh, take on Karen Karshinov, uh, who got past Nick Kyrgios in five. Um, it was a bit of an upset, that, wasn't it? But I mean, Curious was on a streak. You know, going into the tournament, he might have been seated 23rd, but Curious was fourth favourite at the TAB. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And it's, what's strange, too, is how, you know, I'm not really a fan of 
curios to be fair and I've, but I've yeah I've seen him since he's sort of 12 you know 14 16 through just growing up and you know various tournaments and things like that and um, just the way he sort of evolved and play you know playing and attitude and that sort of side of it and then obviously he hasn't been too popular on court and says a few few uh, average things and you know I sort of really went off and when he was pretty average towards Mike you know Venus at the beginning of the year um, but then you sort of start seeing the ways coming back and changing a little bit and just his tennis and what he brings to a tournament. Uh, you know, to be honest, I was actually hoping he was, was going to go the whole way because mm. I just love watching the spectacle of it. Like, it's just such a show out there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's amazing what he's done. And I think for the game-wise, and that's why I think he's just so popular in the States. I mean, they just they love that sort of carry-on. And for him, he's just thriving over there. So... I don't know if he was injured yesterday, but like you sort of said, I I thought he would sneak through that, and I thought that would be, um, you know, and he'd probably carry on. And the way he's been serving, I mean, his serve it, you know, with those balls and the and the heat out there is just such an advantage. So, uh, you know, I'm surprised to sort of see him lose serve actually the way he can serve. But uh, yeah, that was a that was a huge upset. But he was complaining sort of around you know knee issues and stuff like that, but. Uh, that cashing off can't be. He won't be too physically flash after that sort of five sets. I wouldn't think, but um, yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah, who knows indeed. I mean, on Curios, I did a bit of a spiel um, earlier uh, in the week about about him. He seems to have turned a corner. You know, he's made a final of Wimbledon. He won Washington Hardcourt earlier this season. He seems to be. He seems to care more, and maybe he's just matured a little bit more and, and, and dialed some of that back, or, or found a way to get his frustrations across without upsetting people as much. Yeah, you know, it seems. Uh, I mean, this week a couple of times he, he gave the old, um, you know, well, and in that Wimbledon final, I thought he, you know, embarrassed himself a little bit in the way he sprayed his box. You know, supporters up there, and he sort of did a little bit, but we haven't. We're not hearing. You know, like you're saying, we're not hearing that sort of stuff uh, anywhere near as much. And hopefully, I think you know, he's obviously travelling with his girlfriend. He doesn't have a coach there, but I think he's the the you know party around him. I think is settling him down. Uh, I, I just think for him, you know, he's he sort of he pops along and he's trying to get his you know foundation and things up and going. And I just wish with his talent, you know, instead of He's earning a couple, you know, three or four million a year. I think if he really got going and he earns his, he earns his twenty million a year and and does some real, you know, some help to with his foundation that sort of side of it, I think would be brilliant. But um, you know, what what he brings to these tournaments, I think, is just a, another sort of level of excitement. Whether you whether you love him or hate him, it, it just generates that interest, and anything can sort of get out there. But as long as he sort of doesn't get too personal with the abuse and, and that sort of side of it, I think it's, you know, he's a real spectacle. And obviously his tennis, when he's on, is, is next level. So, um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to see what he can do. And I, I, personally, I'd like to see him win a slam just to see if he can get some confidence and, and carry on. And he's obviously going to be one of the guys for the future if he, if he plays that long. Yeah, I, I I really rate him. I, I enjoy watching him, and like you said, you know, it, it's always entertaining. Whatever's happening, whichever way things are going, what I don't get, uh, and I mentioned this earlier in the week, is people who don't like him yet celebrate how great McEnroe was because you know it's just the same player in a different generation. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I I think in his defence, like they've they've let him go so much, 
you know, they give them fines and things like that, but the fines just don't hurt these guys. There's so much money there, you know, until until they actually ban him and, and do that, I, I don't think there's any reason for him to change. So the ATP sort of let him, you know, behave like that because they know at the end of the day selling, you know, it's just bums on seats for them. And, and like you say, I mean, McEnroe and, I mean, Connors, you know, all these guys, you just... You loved it. The the only stuff I don't really like seeing with him is when he, you know, he gets personal when he starts mm. really going to town. And if he's, you know, it's it's not a great spectacle when he's just smashing rackets and stuff like that for for not, you know, any reason. It's not a great sort of selling feature, but and it's nothing we promote as a as a coach to to young kids and or to anyone really. But that that's sort of part and parcel of him. But he's never really sort of been disciplined. I don't think from that sort of side of it. So he. He knows what he brings now, and I think the the good thing is, is you know, if, if he can get those results up and and carry on and and really be a, a player of the future for the next two, three, four, five years, I think he can really add something to the game because it's just it's exciting what he's doing. And and you know, like I said at the beginning of the year, I you know I agreed with Mike when Mike said he was a knob, <laughs> and you know, but now I'm actually sitting there. Yeah, you know, I was disappointed when he lost yesterday. I was I was thinking, oh yeah, this would be great. I'd love to see this guy in the final, and maybe carry on. So. Yeah, it's, it's interesting what he's sort of doing. Yeah, I tell you what, I was, I was, and you probably would have been the same. I don't know if you had the this conversation with Mike, but I was looking at the way that the draw was opening up in the men's doubles, and if if they'd both won through, they would have met at about quarter final stage in the doubles again, which would have been interesting. Yeah, yeah, and it always it's just another bit of interest for us more. I think you know Mike had just put the head down and carry on like he he does so well, but. Um, yeah, it would have been a, a good spectacle, and it would have created a bit of interest for us for sure. So that's uh, yeah, that's always good for the game, and, and gets a bit more coverage out there. So you know, only a positive that side of it. Now, uh, if we if we think that Rude is going to get past Kashinov into the final, um, and that Alcaraz is going to play TFO uh, in the other semi, um, is it as easy as saying the winner of TFO Alcaraz wins the final? I mean, how how do you rate Rude against those other guys? Well, he was. I heard a weird interview yesterday when he was talking. He said um, his coach. He said he'd been playing so well that it was, you know, his coach. He said he felt like he was walking on water the whole time. And I sort of went like, "Wow, what a great way to to jinx yourself!" But obviously, his confidence is, you know, a next, next sort of level. You, you normally people say things like that, where you, you feel like that, and the next day you go out and play one of the worst matches of your life. But um, he's obviously, you know supremely confident I mean he's another guy that's had an unbelievable year and uh, you know mentally I think really strong with his game and because with his I mean obviously ground is fairly big but he doesn't seem to get a lot of free points uh, so he's working pretty hard all the time but you know he seems to enjoy that and that's the way he plays so but, you know, there's another guy comes in at number seven in the world coming at the US Open and he could leave number one so it's just, it's amazing how it's transpired. Are we finally at that point, mate? I mean, I think we've had these conversations for the last five years. Is is this the handing over of the torch? You know, no Rogers there, obviously, with injury. Nadal going out early for him. Uh, and Djokovic obviously not able to get into the US to play it. Uh, is this is this the end of the big three properly now, you think? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's going to be a big ask for, for Roger to come back at all. You know, I think next year you might see... a you know, if he got fit, he may play some slams just for for fun and to care. You know, just to carry on. You know, but 
Um, I think Nadal probably has lost this time maybe a little bit of the stomach issue again from from Wimbledon, but also I think there's some personal problems back at home. You know, his wife's having issues, I think, around the, the pregnancy side of things, which is obviously uh, terrible. Um, but, yeah, I mean, then Djokovic, who knows? Yeah, it's hard for him, I guess, if he's been off, you know, and not getting that weekly sort of competition that he, he seems to thrive on, and he seems to get better and better the more he plays. So if he's out doing things, but uh, you'd think he's still got another, you know, year or two years, and he'd be desperate to get that Grand Slam record off uh, off Nadal, so I think he'd be working pretty hard. But, yeah, I think it's it's great for the game to see these new guys coming through, and it's definitely a, a real interest in it. It's um, just nice to see, you know, different styles of games and that sort of side of it. So uh, I think with, you know, Sinner, Rude, Alcaraz, you know, Kyrgios, that side of it, I think it's uh, it just makes for an exciting future and good to see some new guys. Yeah, well, and on the women's side, I mean, like the you know the women's side's been so hard to predict for a long time, and the men's has been the complete opposite. Feels like they're starting to meet somewhere in the middle again in terms of that. I mean, Firetech has been uh, pretty uh, you know pretty hard to get past, pretty dominant in the women's game. Uh, she plays today. If she wins that, she plays Sabalenka in the semis, Garcia uh, and on Jabir in the other semi final. Uh, we're starting to see a few. Uh, the women's game, maybe not predictable is the right word, but we're starting to see the same names start to make the semis and the final again, um, unlike you know maybe a couple of years ago where we seemed to have a different winner every tournament. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And that's, uh, I mean, it is amazing how that Switex just sort of dominated and, you know, obviously Wimbledon was a bit of a hiccup with, with that side of it, but... Um, I'm not sure if what her match sort of if she's back on that match streak. I think going into Wimbledon wasn't she like 30 matches in a row or something? Yeah, something silly like that, you know. And then obviously had the stumble, but uh, she's probably you know obviously learnt lessons through there. And as dominant as she's been this year, it's hard to go past her for the whole the whole title. I think at the um, but yeah, like you say, we we are hearing the same sort of names and, and seeing that coming through. And even you know I think. That uh, Coco Goff, who's coming out to Auckland, I think, is uh, she's starting to find her feet a lot more and and being you know a lot more consistent on results. So, yeah, that's good. Those young ones are coming through there as well. Yeah, indeed, Alistair. Thanks very much for giving us some time, mate. We'll let you uh, get back to it and and prep for the uh, for for the rest of the day. I know you'll have a busy day on the couch watching tennis. <laughs> You've been speaking to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Go well, mate. Okay, you have a good day. Yeah, Thanks, you too. Mate. Cheers, mate. Alistair Hunt there, former New Zealand Davis Cup captain, with us talking US Opens 25 past nine. I just rewatched it before the interview, you know, winning the ball in your own half, running about 40 yards with the ball and smashing it from outside the area. That was going top corner all day if she hadn't got in the way. I know. Everyone was yelling at me to pass it, and I was just like, oh, gosh. And then I was just like, I'll just shoot. And usually usually I'm a, I like to pass it, and I don't take those shots, but I guess you got to shoot to score. So, yeah, I was just glad it went in and we could get ahead. Yeah, I mean, because it just opened up in front of you, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. Like, I was just like, I might as well just hit it, and I did. And I guess, yeah, I was just grateful it went in. No, well, hopefully we see some more of those this season in the A-League. Yeah, hopefully. I have to take some more shots this season. Yeah. Now, um, when you re-signed, uh, how much of a conversation did you have um, 
with Gemma and Nat about what your role might be in the team and uh, whether the team, given you know Paige and Betsy are going to be there, is the team going to operate the same way? Is it going to operate slightly differently in terms of systems and shape? Um, I'm not too sure, to be honest. We haven't really chatted too much on that. Like It's been a very busy last couple months. Um, I found out just before the World Cup, they kind of sat me down and were like, we want to offer you a contract. So, um, but, you know, I think we've all been quite focused on um, that World Cup. Um, but I'm not I'm not too sure what um, is going to change and stuff like that. But, yeah, it'll definitely be a good competition having all those girls there, um, having all those new signings. So, yeah, like I think there might be some differences. But, um, yeah, until I guess we get, all get down to Wellington and start training, we won't really know. But, yeah, I think it'll be really good. You will have watched a lot of Ferns games over the years. What do you think Betsy and Paige bring to the squad? I think they, they bring a lot to the squad, both on and off the field. I think, you know, they're incredible players. Watching them. I've watched Betsy for a while now. She's been a firm for a while now. So growing up watching her, you know, she's an incredible talent um, and work rate in, in the team. So, yeah, I think she's huge and experience is something we lacked a lot of last year. So I think having those big players come in and, you know, we've all seen Paige's pace. So I've played with her a little bit um, in Auckland. So, yeah, she's an incredible person and player. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to be able to work with them this season. What's your preferred role? I mean, I've seen you play several different positions uh, over the years, but where would you prefer to play if you had the choice? Oh, I, I like being an eight. Like, I like being a box-to-box kind of midfielder. Um yeah, like I, yeah, I think that would be my preferred kind of box to box. I think um, I enjoy um, running up and down the field and joining attack, but helping out in defence. So yeah, I'd say say number eight would be my preferred. number eight. Yeah, I mean, and that's a role that Betsy's played in the past as well. So I suppose this season could be a good learning for you as well. You know, and that you get the, to pick her brain week in week out, someone that's done that at the highest level. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be um, an incredible opportunity for me to be able to train with her and play with her so, um, and learn, I'm sure, every day from her and what she does and, yeah, be able to compete for, you know, the spots in the team. Like, yeah, it's huge. Are there any uh, particular players that you've watched growing up um, in the men's or the women's game who you kind of modelled your, your, your game on? Oh, um, I think recently, like, I love watching Rose Laval play. Um, in the midfield for the USA and, uh, you know, one day I hope to, you know, play like her. But, yeah, I, I think there's a few. Um, growing up, my, I was a big fan of um, Aguero for Man City, scoring all the goals. Um, <laughs> um, as, you know, every kid just likes to score goals. Um, but, yeah, no, there's definitely, like, a few. And Rhea Percival, um, uh, you know, football fan that I incredibly look up to. I think she's amazing. Um, so, yeah, yeah, there's definitely a few players, but I'd say those three are definitely ones that I watch. Yeah, okay. Now, uh, I mean, it was, it's been reported on a bit already, but, you know, last season you you played the full 90 minutes 11 times and then you went, you know what, I'm just not prepared to do the rest of the season. I, I need to sort myself out. And you went away and did that. Um, what sort of processes um, and things have you put in place now to help you with that going forward? Um. It's definitely been like a good last few months for me to really like sit down and like work things through. Like I um, I talk to my psychologists all the time now. We definitely, and Jim and Nat, they've been huge people in my in my life and getting me back to playing. Um, but like I think like I've definitely learned a lot more about myself and um, being like really working on how I can like 
stop myself from getting into like little spirals because, you know, I'm human. Of course, I'm going to have some bad days. Everyone does. Um, So I think it's all about just making sure those bad days don't turn into like bad weeks or like, um, yeah. So like, yeah, I think it's working on that. And like, I'm, I'm definitely like a lot of a better person towards myself um, than I was six months ago. So yeah, like it's crazy to think about me then and me now. Um, So yeah, like it's, yeah, I've definitely put in things in place and I have like so much support from the club and from like everyone at home and my friends and Jim and Nat. So yeah, like I appreciate it so much. And yeah, it's definitely a reason why I'm happy to be back playing. Yeah, it's great. It's great to have you back. Um, and, and I know that you've said previously, you know, there was a chance that you might not have come back. So it's a great story that you that you are back and 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 you've got those coping mechanisms now uh, to deal with that going forward. Uh, how much easier do you think it's going to be on you? Uh, well, on the whole team, really, I suppose. You know, not just from a physical well being point of view, but from a mental well being as well. The fact that you actually get to play half your games in New Zealand this year. Yeah, I think that's huge. You know, having the fans there at Sky Stadium is going to be massive for all of us. Um, it was like incredible the support we got from um, the fans in New Zealand when they were when we were in Australia. So I can't even imagine the support we're going to get now. Um, and just for everyone to have their family and friends in the crowd, I think it's so special. Like it's something that, you know, doesn't really happen often when you're playing like in age group for New Zealand overseas and stuff. So, yeah, to be able to play club football here in New Zealand with your family um, in the car, it's going to be special and it will definitely be a lot easier for everyone this season. So it's exciting. Yeah, very exciting. And of course, it runs quite nicely too, doesn't it? Into the build up to the World Cup, which is here in Australia co hosting. Uh, so, well, you know, that anticipation will start to build, start to build. You've been heavily involved with the under 20s, as we've already talked about. You've got a contract here. Um, how many conversations have you had with Yitka? And is that the goal at the end of the season to break into that Ferns team and be at the World Cup? Um, yeah, definitely. One day I'd love love to be a fan and love to be a part of that. And um, Yetke was at our World Cup for a little bit and um, we, she was an incredible person to have there, you know, training with us and watching, seeing how we do things. Um, and even just her input is just, like, really nice to have and giving us tips and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, you know, the World Cup, having it in New Zealand um, and Australia is awesome, you know, it, not only for the players but, you know, for the um, all the young girls and boys that will get to come and watch the World Cup and hopefully inspire them to one day want to play. And, yeah, definitely being a fern is definitely something I would love to be involved with. And when that time comes, I'll grab it with both hands, but I'll just keep working hard until and hopefully one day I'll get the opportunity. Now, Grace, I understand that you're, I don't know if you're the youngest of six, but I know that you've got, is it five brothers? Three. Three brothers. Three yeah. brothers. Uh, how, how much of an influence were they for you growing up? I mean, I imagine there's there's some pretty competitive football in the backyard at, at the Wisniewski household. Oh, definitely. Always. It's still competitive now. And like, I'm like the only one that lives here at the moment, but we all have little <laughs> competitive moments. Um, yeah, they're, they were huge. Like I have a twin brother and two older brothers. So um, it's always been competitive. And there's videos of me running around with a ball in the backyard, like kicking my brother's shins, trying to get the ball, you know? So um, yeah, like it's huge. And we all love football in this house. So like just to have that at home. Yeah. It's, it's, Pretty awesome, and it's definitely a reason why I'm, you know, love the game and have played for so many years now. So it's a football household that you grew up in. Is there a team that everyone in the house supports, or do you all support different teams? 
Oh, well, me and my older brother support Man City, but then um, my twin brother and my other brother support um, Chelsea. So um, it was always great when they used to play on the weekends and we'd wake up at like 2am to watch, you know, it'd be like us on one half of the room and the others on the other half and always that was always competitive. But, um, yeah, so it was interesting supporting two different teams. But, yeah, it was good, good banter. Yeah, I bet. It'd be a great banter around the house. What about your folks? Oh, well, my dad supported Spurs at one point, actually, at Tottenham. But, yeah, they they don't really play football, but they still love it and get involved. But, yeah, they don't really support or watch big teams. <laughs> and I, I know from our previous conversation that Aguero is, your, is, is a player that you looked up to. Is he your favourite City player of all time? Oh, I'd have to say, yeah. Or Kevin De Bruyne. He's my recent favourite player. But um, Aguero growing up, he was always someone that I was like, wow, because he, you know, scored with goals. How, how impressed have you been with Erling Brat Haaland as a signing for Manchester City so far? He's just, like, built different. He's, like, not human. Like, I just, like, watch him and I'm just like, how? But, nah, yeah, he, he's incredible. He's a massive signing for Man City. Yeah, he's like a Terminator. Yeah, yeah. He's just, like, he's running at people. I'm just like, you're not catching him. No, well, that that third goal against Palace, where the two central defenders tried to sandwich him, and he just was like, "Who? What? Yeah, straight just straight through, through. straight through." <laughs> Scary. I saw a stat the other day because he scored two hat tricks in the Premier League in just five games. The yeah. previous, the previous shortest time to score two hat tricks in the Premier League was twenty-one games. So, oh, yeah, that's going to be breaking a lot of records this season, no doubt. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, who's the who's the best player that you've ever played against? Do you think? Oh, played against one of those Colombian girls um, in the recent under twenties was pretty pretty handy, wasn't she? Yeah, um, probably actually. Um, I played against Jordan Heitemer at seventeens, and she's probably like one of the best youngsters in the world at the moment. So she was definitely probably one of the best. Um, but yeah, the Colombian, like the the attacking threat of the Colombian team was amazing. So yeah, I've definitely, there's a few that I've played against um, during the World Cups that have gone on to do incredible things. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about played with? Ooh, played with. Hmm. Um, oh gosh, this is a hard question. Um, who have I played with? Okay. Probably um, Gabby Rennie's. Now part of the Ferns, I got yep. to play with her for a while. And obviously Kate Taylor, such a queen. Um, she's an incredible player and I know that she's going to go do big, amazing things. Um, I don't know. This, like, I'd say like those two are yeah. probably like the two best I've played with because they're, you know, out playing with the Ferns at the moment. And, and Elite in goal, obviously, is incredible. But, yeah, all the young ones. All the young Don't want to leave anyone out. Hey, Grace, thanks very much for giving us some time today, mate. I really appreciate it. Congratulations once again, uh, signing with the Knicks, and uh, look forward to season two. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's three past ten here on Mornings with Ian Smith. No, Smithy, of course, he is in Australia for the Chapel Hadley series. Uh, Game two of that match gets underway today. We have live coverage here on SENZ from four o'clock. For you, a couple of pieces of business before uh, we get on to our next 
Yes, um, Maggie's texted through on double eight double three our temper bed post text machine. Hi Ricardo, in my humble opinion, Rublev didn't choke. He was outplayed by TFO. Yeah, no fair play. Uh, TFO did play extremely well, but man, Rublev, he looked absolutely uh, distraught. I think between the last change, he was he was almost in tears. It was uh, I think such was the frustration that he had going on. Also, Troy has messaged through. Asking for the last leg of the multi we put out before, a sheriff, as in like you know the old Western style sheriff, Sheriff Tiraspol, to beat Ammonia in the uh, of Cyprus in the Europa League tomorrow. Uh, that was that, Troy. I hope that clears that up for you. Uh, coming up this weekend, of course, the supercars are back in New Zealand, first time at Pookie since 2019 due to COVID and everything else, uh, but also the last time. Uh, we're going to see them at Pookie as well before uh, that gets uh, demoed uh, and refurbed to house just just the racehorses, not the horsepower. And joining us to talk about that and a few other things is Kiwi motorsport legend Paul Radisich. G'day, Paul. How are you? Yeah, mate. Very well. Good morning to you and uh, all your listeners. Yeah, mate. Well, it's, uh, looking forward to, to Pookie. I mean, you know, we can talk about the current supercar season. We can talk about this race and who the favourites are. But really what we should talk about is the status of Pukekohe and what it's done for New Zealand motorsport over the years, right? It's um, it's been it was the uh, the starting ground for you know pretty much all of us that uh, were born and raised from 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 uh, New Zealand. So uh, you know, with a current crop of guys that that are out there racing around the world at the moment, they all cut their teeth at Pukekohe, and you know, Murph was the same. I'm the same. You know. Denny Holm, you can go back way back to, you know, to to win an Open in '63, and uh, it's brought it's brought through, you know, a lot of champions. A lot of champions. In fact, I saw the stat um, uh, through Supercars. Uh, they they've done a, a a piece on New Zealand drivers, um, and they said of the 1,112 races in Supercar histories, New Zealand drivers have won 218 of them. Uh, eight of those were you, were yours, Paul. Um, but that that is some statistic. Yeah, it, it is. A, it's a it is a great statistic, isn't it? And uh, you know, it ju- just shows you. I mean, at the end of the day, we all needed to, um, you know, to to learn our craft and be able to do it. And uh, you know, Pukekohe is has been one of those iconic tracks um, uh, that is well known, you know, around the world. So, but you know, your yeah, your stats. Uh, it's it's a great one for for us Kiwis. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I watched um, Scott McLaughlin earlier this season racing at Nashville, which is a street circuit in IndyCar, and it seems like pretty mm. much every other driver had an issue with that because it wasn't perfectly tar sealed and it was you know a road circuit. I think about twelve cars went into the wall during that race, and he looked so at home. I mean, how much of that is on the bloke having done lap after lap after lap at Pookie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Probably a fair chunk of it, yeah. Um, uh, let's face it, there's not one one bit of tarmac around Pukekohe that's been the same for for many years and dips and bumps and so yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it comes back to that cutting the teeth scenario and uh, you know, Pukekohe has, has has got a big it pays it plays a big part and it, it might be unconscious, but uh, it it, pay, it has played a big part and uh, and as we saw with Scott there, yeah, when it comes to something that's a little more challenging. Um, he's able to rise above it. What do you think it is about Pukekohe, um, the track itself? I mean, it's got that long back straight. Of course, um, uh, there there are there are some tight turns as well, particularly sort of in the in the back third of the track. Uh, but what do you think about Pukekohe, the track that 
that sets you up well for, for pretty much anything else you race on? There's a little bit of everything there. I mean, you remember when Pukekohe first opened in 63, it was the, the, the longer track that went round out the back and then, you know, come back round and then, and you didn't have, uh, the, the, you know, the back, the, the chicane in the back straight. So it was all about, it was all about performance, of course, horsepower, but it was all about braking. And, um, uh, you know, I, I guess we, you know, didn't have the pleasure of racing on the track when it was brand new for someone like me, but, uh, as as it went on, the bumps in Pukekohe, particularly down the front straight and, and what was called champion, um, you know, in the single seaters, you took flat out. But it took, I tell you, you had to be brave to go flat out and it took a lot of working with the car to be able to do it. So the challenges, you know, there's a there's challenge on every track, but Pukekohe produced, you know, some big challenges to be able to get around there to break that, you know, to break that 59, 58 second bracket mark, you know, for, for what was the uh, single seaters of, of the day. So, um, uh, and, and the other side to it, you know, one spectators can see, can see the whole track and, um, and, and it always produced some interesting racing as we've seen with supercars, you know, year in, year out. There's always a bit of a twist to the tail of the, of the event. And it seemed to be, for whatever reason, I mean, because there are some pretty handy drivers out of Australia too, Paul, as much as we like to celebrate our own, but it seemed to be that every time we came back to Pukki, it would be inevitably be a Kiwi that won. Um, there's probably some Aussies in there that won it too, but, um, I mean, Greg, you know, Greg dominated uh, that for, for for two or three years and, um, you know, he, he was uh, he was the, the king of Pukekohe as far as the supercars uh, were con- concerned and, and racked up the, probably the majority of those uh, stats, you know, himself. But uh, um, you know, Australia, Australians, uh, uh, you know, have always been um, competitive around the world, and in their own backyard, they are bloody hard to beat. Let alone when they come over here. So um, yeah, they've been mean, some tremendous. Australian drivers that we've seen and, and, and we'll see again this uh, this weekend at Pukekohe. Yeah. In terms of your your own career and your own uh, time racing at Pukekohe, do you ever is there something that stands out, something you'll always remember about Pukekohe for you? Oh, there's so many things for me. Um, you know, winning the New Zealand Grand Prix, winning the Nissan Mobile Series. Um, you know, I got my big break really to go overseas and, 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 and race in Europe through Pukekohe, um, you know, uh, with Peter Brock. So there, there are, it just goes on and on and on. And, you know, I, as, a, as a young kid with my dad racing there, I mean, you know, I was there from 1963. Um, I can't remember, but I was there. So, um, you know, there, uh, it, it's for me, it's really sad to see it go. Um, you know, it's it's the way things are, it's sign of the time, so on, so on. But we lose so much history in that track. When you went to the UK and you took part in, you know, the British touring cars, which you were so successful at, um, you know, what? Uh, uh, I mean, how much of your success do you put down to Pookie? What was it that you learned at Pookie that you could transfer to tracks around uh, the world um, that that made you dominant when you went over there? Um, look, look it, it's hard to pinpoint just the track. I mean, that Pukekohe was was one track of many, many, and it, you know, it took it took decades for me to get my break in in world motorsport. 
Um, but, you know, going after school out to Pukekohe with my brother and going in mum's little Mazda 323, round and round and round and round and round. So, you know, that's that's where it all began. That's where the passion started. That's, that's you know, that's where it all began. So it plays a big part. It's, it's, it's like, well, you know, Pukekohe, my, my European break, I, I was racing little BMW and I passed Peter Brock, who was in the same car. And he came up to me at the, at the end of it and said, hey, you better come and drive for us. So, and then his manager went to England and, and gave me an offer. You know, it, it, just, it, it just springboards like that. It's, it's just the way, the way it went and the way things go. Yeah, indeed. All right, mate, let's, uh, let's talk supercars then. Let's talk this weekend. Of course, uh, the Giz is doing great things, isn't he? He's uh, heading for a third uh, successive title. Um, I mean, all things being equal, he should, he should clean up this weekend, shouldn't he? Mate, they should just put his name on the trophy now, really, and um, and be done with it. Because uh, you know he's he's the class of the field. Um, he's the informed driver. He's you know, he's got everything that he needs to uh, to do it. Hey, you still got to get you still got to get to the race, and you still got to finish it. And mechanical components and gremlins can can get in the way, but you know he's got a very good he's got a, a great team behind him, and uh, you know he's using it to his, his, his best of his of his, uh, of his ability. And uh, as he's as he's showing, you know, he's uh, he's uh, making everyone else look pretty average, really. Yeah, make, makes every poster what it is does the giz. Can you can you see him being picked up like you know Scotty McLaughlin was and and taken? I don't know whether it's to IndyCar or to NASCAR or to to to, an, to another championship offshore. Given his dominance here, well, he I, he could do. There's no doubt that he. It doesn't matter what he drives. He can he can drive it quickly and understand it very quickly and 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 make it competitive. Um, so, could he? Absolutely. Uh, it's it's all about opportunities. Um, you know, Scott was at the right place at the right time, impressed the right people, the right age, the right the right everything, and the and the doors open. You know what's Scott McLaughlin has has been able to do where he started out as a tin top driver, saloon car driver, touring car driver, and 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 switched everything and gone to single seaters. Happens very rarely. It's, it's, I I can't really think of anybody that that perhaps has done that, and, and I'm sure there is. But um, so could there's no doubt Shane could do the same. It's just could he get the same. Opportunities as Scott, I, I I don't know. Mm, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting, mate. I mean, what about this weekend then? I mean, uh, you know, if the Giz has, doesn't have any mechanical problems, we think he should he should win this. The TAB have got him. This is I, I don't know if I've seen a hotter favourite for a long time. He's paying a dollar fifty to win race twenty seven. The next favourite is paying five fifty, and that's Will Davison. Yeah, we'll put some money on him. <laughs> that's where the value is, isn't it, Paul? <laughs> mate, he's he's actually. He's going all right at the moment, you know. Uh, Will, you know, Will's had a long career, and uh, you know, he was he was there when I was racing, and he's been able to reinvent himself, and and he's got himself in, in, with a good car, and he's got some confidence back now. So, mate, I'll be putting some money on Will for sure, um, uh, you know. But but as we as we you know as we've seen, I mean, the Giz is he's 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 the favourite, he's the one to do it. But uh, mate, Pukakoi, um Pukekohe, as we said before, can throw up some interesting results and interesting races. So, uh, and and you know, throw a bit of uh, bit of water in there, which uh, we know this time of the year at Pukekohe it produces plenty of rain. So, um, it's all to play for.
Yeah, all to play for. What about, uh, there are other Kiwis in the field, of course, and a guy who's ha- had an interesting ride the last few seasons is uh, Andre Heimgardner. Um, he's he's sort of in the middle of the pack at the moment. I think he's about eighth in the Drivers' Championship. Uh, how do you rate where Andre is? It feels like the move that he's made this season has been the right move for him, and, it, and he seems to be on the up. Yeah, look, he does. I think it's a good fit for, for Andre with Brad Jones Racing. You know, Brad's a, a great guy, good team organiser, good driver too, um, and understands the sport. Um, and, and Andre has, has excelled with, you know, with uh, the team getting getting behind him. He's had his first win, uh, first pole, I believe. And, um, you know, so no, Andre, Andre is uh, he's definitely in the mix for this weekend. And, and once again, if it's a little bit damp, he's showing that he's, he's a bit of a wet weather uh, expert as well. Uh, you'll be at Pookie this weekend, I take it? I'm get, I've got the old people going out in the classic touring cars, so uh, I'm going to be driving one of those. Fantastic, mate, fantastic. And yeah. make sure you, you, you've got Monday off, of course, because you'll, uh, you'll be wanting to be glued to the couch for that uh, that last race of the IndyCar series. How tight's that finish going to be? I know. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Let's, let's hope uh, either Scott can, can do the job. Oh, indeed, mate, indeed. I mean, at the moment, New Zealand Motorsport seems to be flying the two Scots over there, Giz uh, in supercars, and Liam Lawson looks like he's not too far away from potentially having an F1 drive next season. Yeah, yeah, it's all all there, isn't it? Hartley in in sports cars picked up another championship, and um, uh, Mitch Evans, uh, runner-up in the electric series, and, uh, and, you know, on and on and on it goes, so... All, all started for Pukekohe. How about that? Yeah, it did indeed, Paul. Uh, and, you know, a lot of those guys grew up watching you and wanting to be you, and uh, you're a big part of that as well, mate. I really thank you for your time. Enjoy Pukekohe this weekend, eh? Thanks, Ricardo. Appreciate the chat. Cheers, mate. Uh, Paul Radisich there with us, uh, Kiwi Motorsport legend ahead of supercars this weekend. Just having a look at the outright winner market for the Super Sprint race uh, out at Pookie for the first race. This is the market. I mentioned the Giz off the top. Yeah, he is massive favourite paying just $1.50 to win. Then you've got Will Davison, five fifty, Cameron Waters at 7s, Chaz Mostert at 10s, Anton De Pasquale at 12s, Brock Feeney and Brody Kostecki. 21s, Dave Reynolds also 21s, then Heimgardner, the other Kiwi in 26s, James Courtney, Scott Pye, Will Brown all at 41s. Frosty, Mark Winterbottom, uh, him, Lee Holdsworth and Tim Slade, some big names of the last few years are all at 51s to win this, and then a, a couple of uh, drivers at 71s and Bryce Fullwood, uh, Jack LeBrock, Nick Percat and Todd Hazelwood. Jake Kostecki, Thomas Randall, both at a dollar tw- uh, sorry at one hundred and twenty six. Macaulay Jones at two seventy six, and Chris Pither, Jack Smith, and James Golding all at five hundred and one to win the twenty seventh race of Supercar season at Pukekohe uh, this weekend. It is nineteen past ten here on SENZ. This is your mornings with Smithy. Keep them coming through. Your texts on double eight double three. Uh, Peter Hama has texted me through saying, hey, uh, no Manchester United in the multi, Ricardo. You're not a believer yet. Still not a believer. I was Well, man, it's not that. It's just I think of all the group games we, uh, United have got in the Europa League this, uh, this season, I think Sociedad is going to be the toughest of the lot. They drew with Atletico Madrid on the weekend. Uh, and, I, I mean, to be fair, I think that we're going to see 
that team, the United team, uh, Ten Hag can't play the same eleven all the time, right? So he's going to have to make changes tomorrow. So I expect a few fringe players to come in. If I was going to have a punt on that game tomorrow, it is at Old Trafford. Uh, I think I would probably lean towards the draw, which is at three seventy-five. I mean, United are paying a dollar sixty-two. But it depends for me on what the United team looks like. Um, I think there will be a lot of changes, so we will have to see. So see that are paying fives, but the draw at 375 is probably where I would sit at the moment until I see the team. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, you know, at least half a dozen changes to the United team that plays in that game. Uh, and then you know that throws up a bunch of questions. So that's where I am on that. But thank you very much for your text. Keep them coming through. Double eight, double three is the temper bedpost text machine. It is twenty past ten when we come back. It's the panel. Ball in for him this week, and joining us on the panel today, uh, James Regan. G'day, James. How are you? Good man. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Good. And uh, Aiden McLaughlin as well. G'day, Aiden. Today, Ricardo, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Good. Uh, now, we're going to talk some boxing, we're going to talk some rugby, some tennis, and some NRL, but I thought we should start with the big news from overnight, that Thomas Tuchel, the Chelsea manager, has been sacked by Todd Bowley, the new owner, after, well, actually it was on the 100th day of his ownership, he has sacked the guy that won the Champions League for Chelsea only two seasons ago. Uh, James, were, were you shocked by that decision? Yeah, shock's probably one word for it. I think it's outrageous to to sack um, to sack Thomas Tuchel like that after obviously what was a disappointing result for them in Europe. But for goodness sakes, like maybe the owner wants to put his mark down on the team, or maybe he just wants to shake things up. But sacking someone like Thomas Tuchel uh, for what he's done, and he's he's only you know just getting into the season. They spent. 280 million for players that he wants, and then to turn around and sack him, I think it's pretty laughable. Um, as a Liverpool fan, I think it's great. As a football fan, I think it's it's outrageous and it's and it's pretty. It's just bizarre. I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, that is the thing. I mean, it's uh, Aiden. He's he's been backed by the owner to the tune of yeah, as James mentioned, just over a quarter of a billion pounds this season to bring in players. In fact, one of those, the latest up here, Emmerich Aubameyang, they brought him from Barca um, because Tuchel worked with him at Dortmund, you know, and, and Aubameyang was like, you know, it's great. I, I can't wait to start working with him again and get things happening because they haven't had a number nine all season. Well, he's had 60 minutes under Thomas Tuchel and now Tuchel's being sacked. Yeah, I think that's the strangest thing about the whole thing, isn't it, really? I think if Tuchel had been sacked in the summer, um, it would have been more understandable uh, with a new owner. Um, I know that the likes of Peter Cech left the club. Uh, so you could understand if you just wanted to make a fresh start and bring in, uh, bring in a new manager. But to let them spend all that money without Peter Cech to help, by the way, so he's, he's taking a lot of the responsibility for who he's going to bring into the club, I think that's the biggest surprise. Yeah, they haven't had the greatest start to the season, but we're only, what, six games into the Premier League, one game into the Champions League. Players are still betting down. So it, it just seems really odd timing, doesn't it? If, if, you know, this went on for maybe another month or six weeks, then maybe it's time to, to, to let him go. But, uh, yeah, just too early in the piece for me. 
It does put on the spotlight. I, I did laugh, you know, when we had all the um, conjecture around Ian Foster's future uh, this uh, earlier in the rugby season. Well, it might still be going on for some, but you know, there were there were there were fans of the All Blacks and people who were who obviously were backing Foster, saying you can't make decisions like this based off this. I mean, you're talking about a guy that had lost six of eight games in charge of the All Blacks, um, but when you're you know, you look overseas, you look at teams that are expected to win, like Chelsea are, these decisions do happen over there like this, and I, I, I do wonder how people like that um, react, James. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think European football, and maybe football in general, is completely different to anything else, because of the money involved and the turnover of of coaches in particular, clubs. Chelsea get away with it and they have gotten away with it for so long because they can just go out and get the next, get the next best manager off the rank and, and, and it's been successful for them. It probably wouldn't work um, in New Zealand or for the All Blacks or for whoever because there, aren't, there isn't the depth of talent when it comes to coaching and, and apart from maybe the RFU, no one's got the money to be able to just go out and, and buy um, whatever manager or coach they want. Um, you, you definitely see it in the NRL where there's such a high turnover of coaches and coaches getting sacked, but the depth of talent just isn't there. Um, apart from maybe a handful of top-level coaches who are coaching the top teams, everyone else is pretty unproven and, and you know, is always on the edge of probably losing their job. So, uh, yeah, European football is a, a completely different piece to anything else we get anywhere else. At what point, Aiden, of this All Black season would uh, Ian Foster have been sacked if Todd Bowley had been running New Zealand rugby? <laughs> uh, after the Northern Northern Hemisphere tour, probably Ricardo, I think. I don't, I don't think he would have made it to the to the new season. Um, but but in all seriousness, I think probably after the the Irish uh, the second defeat of the Irish in that three match series, I think would have been the time for for him to go uh, under such a, a regime. Um, but uh, I mean, as James said, it's it's like chalk and cheese, isn't it? You know, this is Chelsea. Apparently, if they want to get Graham Potter on board, uh, there's a 16 million pound release clause. He won't even blink twice at that. He's spent, as you say, 280 million pounds on players. He's got apparently he's got about four billion pounds to spend on the club if he needs to. So it's just it's just a different world, isn't it? And the other thing is, he doesn't actually care what people think. Um, here in New Zealand, the ends that are seem to care how they look. Um, rather than maybe make the, uh, the the right decision. They actually care about maybe looking a bit silly that they appointed the wrong person in the first place. So whereas someone like yeah, a Premier League owner just doesn't care about that. No, it all feels very Ted Lasso though, doesn't it? Um, I've, I've, got to be, I've got to say Chelsea at the moment. Hey, we'll talk more about that and a few other things coming up on the panel. Right now though, it's the latest in news and sport. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk to me, yeah. 27 away from 11. Uh, we're in the midst of the panel with Aidan McLaughlin and James Regan. And James, I know the NRL is very much your backyard, so I've got to ask you, uh, is it free-for-all now in the NRL? Head highs, fist fights, eye gouges, whatever you like. Just take the ban and do it next season and continue to play the finals. Apparently that's what you can do now with Peter Volandis. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um... It's interesting. It's kind of the same time of year on the eve of the finals and something comes out um, to kind of distract from the on-field stuff, doesn't it? Look, every case is different. Um, I, was, I watched a thing this morning where Peter Volandi said he's thinking about the fan 
um, and the Penrith fans that will want to obviously see see this guy play. He's been outrageous all season and, and scored a bucket load of tries. But maybe that does that send the wrong message, um, given that he, you know, was um, was done for what he did, and, and there's a clear video of it, and um, that they banned him. But it's going to be next season. Um, it's it's yeah, I don't know, man. Like the NRL continue to come up with things just kind of on the spot, um, and it was a chance to maybe send a bit of a message to other players who who are in that similar situation where they're out. Um, maybe after a few beers and w- uh, with a few mates, and and it might make them think, or it might not. But um, now it's all said and done. I, I think just get on with it. Just let him play. Um, it, it wasn't, you know, he he didn't murder anyone. Um, but yeah, maybe that's the path the NRL want to go down now. I, I just don't know, and that's the thing. You just don't know where it's going to go with each individual case because every every outcome seems to be so different. Yeah, I mean it does. I mean, it, I said it earlier at the start of the show. It, it puts the NRL in sort of um, a cowboy outfit type of realm for me. When you've got a guy in uh, Nathan Collins, the state of origin prop for the Roosters, who's been suspended by the NRL for a hip drop, is going to have to serve his time through the final series. Will only be available for the grand final if the Roosters make it that far. He wasn't arrested. Wasn't charged by police. Wasn't found guilty in a court of law. He has to serve the time. Taylor May uh, doesn't for some reason, Aiden. Uh, I, I can't make head nor tail out of this. Oh, it's an absolute joke, isn't it? It's as simple as that. You know, you, you get a ban, you serve your ban. Um, he's got a fine. He's got to pay that now to the courts. I think he's got some sort of educational requirements, you know, some sort of, I don't know, anger management or something to do like that. He's got to do that straight away. Yet the NRL say, oh, well, we'll defer the, the punishment that we're going to put down on you and you can play in the finals. Um terrible example it just you know people can just defer punishments like that just because the fans are going to miss out well tough tough luck on the fans to be blunt and hey i mean it, it would be a good lesson for me to learn as well you've got to accept your punishment now um and then you'll think twice about doing things in the future as well and other people will as well so I, I just think it's a complete farce to be honest yeah well i mean the bloke that um you know, he assaulted um, and who smacked his head pretty hard on that on that concrete floor was a fan. I don't know if uh, how much of a fan he is of this decision. Or, I mean, you know, Eels fans. The Eels fans care. I mean, there are 15 other clubs who I'm pretty sure would be quite happy to see him sit out this final series. Um, I, I think uh, they, it might have created a rod for his own back here. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I struggle that if you're found guilty in NRL judiciary, you have to serve a fine. But if you're actually convicted of a crime, um, you're okay. We'll, we'll, we'll let you play. Uh, makes very little sense to me. Uh, also making very little sense is Nick Kyrgios smashing two rackets after the match. Uh, yesterday, James, um, I, I was I was coming to his defence earlier in the week and saying how great he is for the game. He seems to have sorted himself out. Uh, he is great to watch. He's a great player. But, uh, yeah, it was bizarre. I mean, I, I could almost understand losing the game and smashing the racket you're playing with, but then to go out of your bag and grab another one to have another go at uh, seemed a little excessive. Yeah, yeah, bad day to be a racket when Nick Kyrgios was around. Um, it, it was an amazing match, wasn't it? And props to both of those guys for, for going the way they did. It, it was phenomenal to watch. It was kind of never-ending, and you didn't really want it to end. And, and that is what Nick Kyrgios brings to tennis, because as well as the way he played, and the way he dug himself out of some of those holes was the fact that 
you were always watching him knowing that something could happen at any time here and that is box office and that is exactly what tennis needs right like and seeing some of the presser after the game he was devastated he knows he can he can compete with the best now he got to the Wimbledon final he got to to where he did in the US Open and he was very close to going through so he knows he can win a major now given that um, the other guys are well on their way out and he was devastated which is great to see and I hope over the next couple of years we get the very best of Nick Kyrgios that he has to offer and that is both the occasional blow up and also the best tennis he can play because man that was phenomenal and when he's on it's great to watch he's the best player in the game apart from maybe Djokovic Nadal to watch there's no doubt about it yeah he is box office he is box office and Aiden, you know over in Australia he gets called an embarrassment to Australian sport yet those are the same same people who will defend an Australian cricket team who actually got caught and done for cheating but apparently they're not an embarrassment. <laughs> no, and perhaps they're defending the uh, decision to uh, to, to let uh, May play in these couple of games as well. So um, it, it is, yeah, double standards, isn't it? I mean, Kyrgios is great to watch. Um, I really enjoy watching him play tennis. Uh, and it's a shame that so much of the good things about him um, have been belittled by the reaction to what happened after the game. And that's the real shame for me. You know, he's... He's embarrassed himself after the match, okay? I don't think he's embarrassed his nation or anything. It's an individual sport, ultimately. Um, but people are talking about the records, whereas people should be talking about what a great game of tennis it was. You know, it was a, a, a great quarterfinal. Um, and that's the real shame for me. That it just takes away from what he is really good at, and that is he is an extraordinary tennis player. Yeah, I'll tell you what's not extraordinary, and that's the TMO in the rugby last night. I don't know uh, if either of you guys watched this live or just caught up with it uh, popping up on Twitter, but my Twitter feed blew up after Connor Garden Bishop was awarded that try in the corner last night. The referee on field, fair enough, said, look, I think that's a try, send it upstairs to the TMO. Can you check the sideline? He looked at it three times. Connor Garden Bishop's got his left hand planted on the ground outside the touchline before he even grounds the ball, yet it gets given a try. I mean, James, is somebody that's suffered the bunker throughout the last few seasons of the NRL, oh, the bunker all of a sudden looks like it's uh, squeaky clean. Yeah, looks like a, a well-run oil machine, doesn't it, the bunker compared to what happened last night. That was, that was outrageous. I mean, I didn't watch it live. I caught up on it this morning. And oh, far out. I mean, if you're, if you're Garden Bashit, you must know, surely. I mean, I know it all happens at an incredible pace, but you, you've got to have some kind of inkling. And he must have been just dancing around <laughs> after that because that, that was just phenomenal. I mean, I don't know what happened up in the TMO, whether there was a technical fault or whether they just completely missed it. But my word, that is an absolute howler. And that, yeah, that's one for the... One for the highlights package, for sure, for the yeah. wrong reasons. For the wrong reasons, indeed. And now, Aidan, I know you're a football fan and VAR has had a terrible week in the Premier League, but I don't even think VAR would have got that wrong. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I, I did actually watch it at the time, and what was interesting was um, Kane Hames was a co-commentator. And so uh, he was actually, he'd said on the air, he was sitting next to the TMO. And the TMO said to him, he missed the left hand, and to quote, he's gutted. So that's what Kane Haynes said about it just after the decision was made. So he, he looked at it, as you say, a few times, 
made a mistake, instantly realised after the decision was given that he'd made a terrible mistake. Um, but how do you make that mistake? That's the thing. Surely, you know, you've got a little checklist there that you're going through. You, you're checking everything. You can't miss it. So, yeah, he's put his, put his hands up, if you pardon the expression, and he's admitted fault straight away. But too late. Too, too little, too late, I'm afraid. Way too little, way too late. I'll tell you what, Specsavers need to get back on board as the sponsors of the referees and the rugby, I think, after after that, uh, gentlemen. And finally, um, we've just had news this morning that some money Bill Williams is going to fight Mark Hunt um, in, a, in a boxing fight. Uh, James, is, is money Bill the, the Southern Hemisphere's Jake Paul? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, good on him. Good on both of them for, for getting in the ring. Um, and he's got to always kind of step with those boxing bouts. Like, if it attracts fans, it's great for the sport. And if you can get in there, then then you've got to make hay while the sun shines. I probably <laughs> won't be buying it myself. But, yeah, it's um, look, the whole boxing scene like that is fascinating at the moment. And with Sonny Bill, um, it's always good when he gets in the ring. And I'll, um, I'll give it a watch. But... Yeah, not sure about, <laughs> not sure how longer he can go on. No, no, me neither. Uh, what about you, Aiden? Are you going to have eyeballs on this or not? Oh, I, like James, I won't be paying for it. Uh, but if Sky decides to put it on free to air, I might, I might give it, a, might give it a go. But Mark Hunt at the age of forty-eight, well past his prime. Um, Sunny Bill, uh, <laughs> who's on TV uh, in front of the cameras more than actually doing anything any sort of physical activity on the cameras these days just doesn't interest me, to be honest. I'd rather save about $40 or $50 for Fury v Joshua if that comes about. Yeah, no, couldn't agree with you more. It's uh, definitely following the Jake Paul uh, recipe of getting guys who are well past their best, past their prime fighters who are big names and making yourself look like a hero. Gentlemen, thanks very much for coming on the panel. Really appreciate it. Go well, enjoy the rest of your day, and uh, we'll have another panel tomorrow. Up next, we're talking harness racing. We'll have a love racing update and talk to the TAB all before 11. The charge to the NRL finals is on, so you know it only gets more intense from here. SCNZ, it's Kiwi for Rugby League. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's Harness Racing New Zealand Pacing for Purpose Season 2. It's 11 away from 11 and uh, our Pacing for Purpose uh, pick this week to raise funds for the Women's Refuge is racing at Methford on Sunday. It is race six, uh, takes place about quarter past two on Sunday afternoon. Uh, horse two, Fernley Blackbird, looked good winning last campaign. Had a nice second at the trials in preparation for this, uh, driven by uh, Robbie Close and Regan Todd has had a win and a third in the last five starts as well. So that is our pick, Fernley Blackbird, uh, for race six at Methven on Sunday. Uh, any money we win goes towards the Women's Refuge. We going through the roof with Izzy and Smitty. You're listening to SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. It's five away from 11. Louis Herman Watt joins us to talk love racing. G'day, Louis. How are you? Good, man. 
That's the story. What's uh, what's on the agenda for you today, mate? Uh, anything you're looking at? Well, not any racing today, Rick Dog. They're racing at Wingatui tomorrow, thoroughbred racing, that is. Um, Saturday, all of the markets are open. Now, this is fantastic. TAB.co.nz. They've run this new setup where every Wednesday we're going to have markets wide open for all of the races on the feature days or on the Saturday racing. So, uh, massive congratulations to them for getting this done. It's not an insignificant amount of work, so it means you can go to Hastings, you can look at race one, race two, race three, race four, the whole races, every race, the whole card, and uh, you'll be able to find all the fixed markets there. So I've just been perusing those, Rick, though, trying to find some winners for the weekend. Have you had any luck? Well, they haven't raced yet. Well, no, have you, have you found anything you go, actually, that looks good? Yeah, I'm just having you on. Of course I have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, race four, number five, Cork. I'm really willing to ride off Cork if it's on Sunday. Funny, heavy track at Tarapa. She hadn't raced in a long time. She was, she'll be way better for the run. She was doing her best work after being tapped up. Uh, through the heading towards the line and through the line, um, three dollars sixty. I'm happy to take it. Happy to take the rest of the mine. I don't think the field's that strong, to be honest. Oh. Um, race number uh, seven. We have the Gold Trail Stakes, the Thoroughbred Breeders. This is a great race for the fillies, and I'm on Sands Duit, the Tiarkal filly, who was super impressive in her first ever gallop in a race at Topor. I reckon she comes back here better for the efforts and um, she's just on the up while some of these are on the wrong side. Best seller, huge respect for her in that race. But I do think they went a bit fast up front um, when she bet Sam's doing last, last start. But again, another good good draw barrier three with Sammy Spratt on. She'll be going close. And of course, Pacific Dragon, she's already stakes performed. And then in the last, well, take your pick. Mustang Valley, Outfit, uh, Inserio, Zaitaku, Semper Magico, Red Inferno. This is just such an even race to end out the quaddie. So really looking forward to this weekend, Ricardo. Good luck, Louis. Sounds good, mate. Sounds like uh, coffees will be on you come Monday. Uh, sorry, mate, just breaking up there. Yeah, yeah, the bloke that doesn't work Monday, of course, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, well done, Louis. Go well, mate. Thanks very much for coming on, Louis. Of course, we'll be back tomorrow morning uh, on uh Izzy and Kempi for breakfast. Time to cross now to uh, Paul Mawadi from the TAB. G'day, Paulie. How are you, bro? Very good. Thank you, Ricardo. Uh, beautiful day here down at Patoni. Mate, fantastic day everywhere around the country by the looks of things. Uh, what's uh, what's big for you today? Uh, well, we've still got our tennis bonus back promotion going on all the men's and women's singles matches at the US Open. Of course, we're waiting for the big match later on this afternoon. Yannick Sinner up against Carlos Alcaraz. Sinner, 2.30 to win that. Carlos Alcaraz at $1.58. We've also got the one-day international, the second one, in the Chapel Hadley series uh, later on tonight. Australia, $1.51. New Zealand, $2.40. We've also got a cricket bonus back uh, on that match. It's just a place a pre-match team top run score, a bet through your TAB account. And if your player is second or third highest run scorer in their team, we'll refund your bet up to $50 as a bonus bet. The best back in the uh, Australian side, uh, Steve, at $4.50. Missed out in the first uh, one-day international. You think he'd bounce back. And for 
uh, Black Caps. Devin Conway was the best back last time. He was around five or six dollars. You're not getting it this time. He's four fifty in third line of betting in that top run scorer market for the Black Caps. Devin Conway once again. Very well backed by Kiwi punters. Oh mate, uh, yeah, good stuff. You're looking forward to that game, uh, the Savo. Hopefully we don't uh, we don't choke that one like we did the uh, the first one. Good <laughs> good stuff, Paulie, mate. Go well. Uh, enjoy. No, no doubt you'll be taking that in and and keeping yourself well hydrated while enjoying the cricket this evening. Enjoy it. And congratulations to all those happy Napoli fans out there this morning. Oh mate, you've got to love a great Napoli team, don't you? Great Napoli team. Always been a big fan, Paulie. Go well, mate. It is nearly 11 o'clock here on SENZ. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's just gone three past 11 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Uh, Smithy, of course, is in Australia for the Chapel Hadley series. We will have live coverage of the Chapel Hadley series from four o'clock here on SENZ. Daniel McCarty leading the call. I believe uh, the Harry Javelin, Grant Elliott, will be part of the call team this time round as well, subbing in for Hamish Bennett, who called the first game for us. Uh, some uh, breaking news out of the Wellington Phoenix. They have signed another player for the Women's team. Of course, uh, we just had uh, Grace Wisniewski on earlier today, and uh, the 10th Foundation player has been re signed now, just been announced. Ava Pritchard, only 19, still. She played all 14 games of the uh, first season and was the first goal scorer in Wellington Phoenix women's history as well. So uh, good to get her signed and uh, keeping hold of a lot of their young stars, which is great to see. Uh, they they all have a team that will know each other well. A lot of them also a big part of that under-20 World Cup squad for the Football Fern. So with the addition of you know the Paige Satchels and the Betsy Hassetts of this world, that team should be more competitive again this year and hopefully they can push on to some finals football uh, this coming season. We'll have to uh, see how that goes. Coming up, in this hour, we are going to catch up with Kendra Coxedge shortly. Uh, we'll have a chat to her about uh, the 100th game in the red and black, of course, the Farah Palmer Cup final against Auckland and uh, the looming World Cup as well. Uh, we also have a stumped with a $100 TAB uh, bonus bet. Uh, up for grabs. We'll do that around about 11.30. We'll get to more of your texts as well on double eight double three. That is the Temper Bedpost text machine. And don't forget, so you can tune into SENZ every Sunday from midday for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed, hosted by two legendary Greyhound experts, Mark Rosanowski and Dan Roberts. Don't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed show. And a little bit later on this hour, we are going to try and raise some uh, money for charity. One of our four New Zealand charities, all thanks to Greyhound Racing New Zealand as well. We'll get to that with the charity run a little bit later on. And uh, we've got all of that and more to come. Uh, we did have a couple of texts come through here about uh, Peter Volandis and the deal with Taylor May allowing him to play in that final. Uh, hey, Ricardo, you're so on the money. Also, what happened to all this talk about repaying the Warriors for the last two and a half years? What a load of BS. That's from Dave. Go the Eels. I agree with you, mate. Go the Eels, particularly uh, as I know that you were on them, Dave. You, as That's you the only reason earlier. why you read out that text. Well, no, not the only reason. 
But it is a very good reason. Uh, Paul has also messaged through. He says, I concur on Volandis. He also liked a jockey getting a suspension that doesn't start straight away. It's a load of BS. He's opened a can of worms. Thank you, Paul, uh, for your text through as well. And Chris has messaged, being a Chelsea fan, I was surprised and sad to see Thomas Tuchel sacked, but I loved the Napoli result this morning. Um, yeah, I don't think you're alone in that, Chris. I don't think you're alone in that because I, I think there are a lot of football fans that love that Napoli result this morning. If you've missed that result, first round of the Champions League at Napoli 4, Liverpool 1. And uh, that has caused uh, great consternation. Of course, one German coach being sacked in the Premier League. And now Jurgen Klopp under a little bit of pressure after a pretty shaky start in the Premier League season and then getting thumped by Napoli in the Champions League as well. Double eight, double three is the Temper Bed Post text machine. You can send your messages through, uh, or you can uh, call us, of course, on 0800 150 This one through from Brian. Morning, Ricardo. I hope all Curio supporters feel totally embarrassed at his little show yesterday. What a bloody joke. Yeah, well, Brian, you know, I'll say this. I think it showed that he cared and that he was frustrated. Maybe not the way to show it, but I, I think he's moved on because of the past... He would have had a crack at somebody, probably the umpire, and he didn't do that. So should we call it progress from Nick Kyrgios? Maybe. Maturity? Maturity? For him, at least. For him, yeah. Yeah. That's what maturity looks like for Nick Kyrgios. So maybe, maybe. We'll we'll see. Uh, But I'm willing to give him a pass for that. The second racket was probably a little bit too far, I'd have to say. Uh, Somebody who I I doubt has ever smashed a tennis racket in her life uh, joins us now. Kendra Coxedge. G'day, Kendra. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Good morning. Yeah, good morning to you. I don't know if you saw the end of that Kyrgios match yesterday. He was uh, he was the favourite to win it, lost it, and then just went to his bag afterwards and grabbed rackets out of his bag and started just smashing them on the court. Oh, no, far out. Must be nice to be able to have that many rackets to go grab, eh? <laughs> <laughs> indeed, Kendra, indeed. Hey, listen, I, I don't want to start any beef, but it's not like Auckland Canterbury don't already have beef, right? But we had Eloise Blackwell on yesterday, and uh, she made a comment about the Canterbury pack don't like physicality. Uh, so that's where Auckland are going to take it to them. I would imagine if uh, if Blair had heard that, you, you've had that on loop at Canterbury training this week? Uh, yeah, we've actually already already spoken about that, and, and we've seen that this morning. And I mean, that just adds a little bit of fuel to us. Say, eh? like, um, the girl, our forward pack have been real physical this year, and they've, they've stepped up in the past. We probably haven't quite matched that, but from what they're offering, um, especially at set piece time as well, and and around the park, um, there's definitely a lot more physicality than we've ever had uh, with our forward pack. Yeah, I tell you what, if I am uh, this weekend going to run out and face um, Steph T or Harry Fox. I don't want to fire up any more than I need to, particularly after the way she ripped those three balls out in the second half against Wellington. Turnover queen. Yeah, I mean, she's she's on fire, and it's really cool to see she's 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 actually performing. Uh, she's on the form of her life at the moment, and you know, her she's dominating scrums. Um, she yeah, she's ripping balls out. She's getting crucial turnovers, and you know, you, you need someone like that at this end of the season. And you know, last weekend she yeah she got some crucial crucial rips uh, of the ball that helped change the momentum of the game. Of course, uh, both you and Steph are farewelling the red and black after this weekend's final. I've named it the the, uh, the ground after you for the week as well. How did how'd that feel? Yeah, it was, it was pretty special. It was uh, hugely honoured, and yeah, thanks to Canary Rugby for doing that. I wasn't um, I wasn't actually aware of it as a surprise for me. Um, some of the some of the girls had um, talked to um, talked to a crew down here, and they said they got a surprise for me, and if I wanted to know, and I was like, oh no, I like surprises. So I just yeah saw it in the media, and I thought yeah, it's hugely hugely honoured, and I know Steph feels the same. 
It's funny, eh? There's two types of people. People that like surprises and people that, if they know that there's something on the offing, have to try and do everything they can to find out what it is. <laughs> I'm sometimes like that, but this one, I, I trusted the girls. You know, they, they were asked about it and they thought I'd like it, so I trusted them, and which is a good thing, right? So, um, no, nah, it was cool. It was, it was very special. Yeah, very special, man, very special. I mean, and what will bringing up 100 uh, like this uh, mean for you? Because, I mean, uh, does it get any better than the arch rivals Auckland in the final of the Farah Palmer Cup at home? I mean, you couldn't write it, could you? It's fairy tale stuff. Yeah, it is a bit of a fairy tale. And, you know, if I was thinking at the start of the year and or the end of last year, you know, I wasn't even thinking I was going get, get to get to my 100 games, you know, because we weren't even going to be um, playing Farah Palmer Cup. But just with the, the change of the guards with the Black Ferns and just we want to be obviously playing more footy and, you know, just getting closer and closer and closer. And then obviously went away for Black Ferns and then came back to my 98s and then 99s last weekend. And then, yeah, now it's here. It's just, yeah, I just... Far out. It's, it's 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 crazy. Um, as I didn't think I was going to get there, and um, now nah, looking forward to to getting out. And as you said, against Arch Rifles, I think uh, with Auckland, I think it's our ninth ninth final of um, that Canterbury's played against Auckland. So it's always a good, it'll be a great game. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think the last time you played them in the final, you won as well. Uh, so you'll be looking for a repeat there. You mentioned about your hundredth and not sure that you were going to get there because I mean last year I think it was quite disappointing for the fans and I imagine as players you would have been disappointed as well um, under the under the previous coach to be pulled out of the Farah Palmer Cup to go into a training camp um, was that when you had discussions as a player group with New Zealand Rugby something that you brought up when they when they were looking to appoint a different coach yeah, I think it was kind of mostly brought up throughout through the Farah Palmer Cup coaches um, a little bit around that and you know like it was really tough um, I ran the water in that final last year and it, it was hard to sit on the sideline when you're fully fit, ready to go and it was it was, it was tough for everybody um, but I think, you know, we worked out going on the NDA tour that we need to play more rugby and as much rugby as we can and as you can see with um, filtering into pack four and then Laurie O'Reilly for Black Ferns, um, everyone's getting getting better every game we're playing so um, it's just cool to see that, you know, that we're actually being able to play and being released to play uh, the most of the Farah Palmer Cup this year. What's been the big change for you in that Black Ferns environment from, uh, you know, one uh, one coaching regime to the next? Uh, probably just, it's just, like, just a bit of a fresh fresh change, you know. It's always good when you've got fresh eyes over things. And, um, you know, I guess we've, we've probably got caught up in a lot of structure um, with the Black Ferns and even I was guilty as a player falling into a bit of too structured rugby. And um, with Smitty coming in, as we know, as a professor in that space, he's... Um, you know, try to get us away from playing too much structure and and play you know play on top and cause chaos and you know we've got quality quality coaches with Wesley Clark and um, Whitney Hanson and then you got Alan Bunting who's in there who's who's good and brings some excitement as well and then you got Crono who's the set piece master so you know we're getting a lot of a lot of experience and a lot of coaches that have experienced pinnacle events um, you know and they're just constantly challenging us every day to be better and to express ourselves and. I think you can start. You can start like what's starting to show, obviously, in the performance that we're, we're putting out there. Yeah, I mean that first performance against the Wallaroos was was incredibly dominant. Um, you know, I think probably from that Pack Four series, they thought that they had bridged the gap, but you you really uh, put them to the sword in that first test, didn't you? How, how did it feel in camp, and how much do you think you've bridged the gap to say England and France uh, in the in this last year? Yeah, I mean, I think we've bridged, we've bridged it quite a lot. Um, we've still got a few bit to go. We've got still a month, well, a month today actually until kickoff. And um, you know, I, I think it's I, I won't be, I won't lie, I was a bit concerned at the start of the season. Um, but now as we've um, kind of con- got, kind of gone through camps, played Farah Palmer Cup, and played a lot more tests. 
um, definitely starting to feel a little bit comfortable and I know that we're going to be real competitors come, come World Cup time and it's, it's a World Cup on home turf, you know, so we're going to be putting everything into it um, and we're excited we're excited about that. Obviously it comes with a bit of, bit of pressure at home as well too, but we're going to embrace that and, and soak that up and, and obviously channel that into, into performance. It's great to have a World Cup at home, uh, Kendra, and I'm you know, looking forward to getting along, taking my daughter to games. She's going to love it. Uh, I just wish, I, and I'm in Auckland, right, so you know it works for me, but I just wish for, for the rest of the country we had more games outside of you know that sort of Whangarei Auckland base. Yeah, I mean, that, that would have been awesome, right? We, um, As you know, the game's growing heaps and everyone wants to get along and we saw it a little bit down when we played here in Christchurch. We didn't play here for, for a wee while and we got a, you know, a pretty decent crowd and they were rowdy and I know how much the girls enjoy playing, playing in front of that crowd too. So, um, yeah, it would, have, it would have been nice, but I guess we've been able to move around a bit during the pack four as well. Um, but, yeah, ideally, hopefully going in, in the future, there's a bit more movement um, so, you know, people can, can go along and if you can't, this World Cup's going to be awesome. So hopefully people are keen to to travel and watch some good performances. Yeah, indeed. Uh, you know, the second test against the Wallaroos when you played at, uh, at Adelaide Oval, what was, um, uh, you know, there were a lot of changes to the team, obviously looking to build some depth and things. What what did you take away from, from looking at that game uh, in terms of the depth of New Zealand rugby? Yeah, I mean, the depth that we've got is, you know, it's awesome. And you can see it across the Farapama Cup. We're getting there. Like, we say in certain things that we're not quite there and we need more, but I think we're getting there and it's showing this year. Like, there's going to be some real massive competitions for spots in the World Cup squad's name next week. And, um, you know, like, I think for me it's definitely been the first year where it's been really heavily competitive, uh, probably over the last two years, competitive for playing spots. So um, to me, there is the depth there. Um, and then we've just seen the Farah Palmer Cup as well without without Black Ferns for, the, for two weeks. So, And, you know, there was, especially down here with Canary, I was pretty happy with how those girls played um, when we were away. So to me, there, there's depth there and there's, there's, there's players coming through. Um, it's just that, that younger age. Um, and I know that'll just keep growing in the community space and then it'll keep coming up through high performance, which is really exciting. Now, uh, we should get back to the uh, the small matter of a Farah Palmer Cup final this weekend in Canterbury against Auckland. Uh, when I talked to Aloise yesterday, you know, we talked about the importance of that Storm loose forward trio. Um, and, you know, they'll be looking to shut you down because, uh, you know, you sort of, you're the player, the main playmaker for the red and black. Um, have you got a pl- have you got a plan for that loose forward trio? What are, what have your work on been this week? Yeah, I mean for me like, as an individual, I just need to focus focus on my role. I feel every game I go into, that teams potentially might might come at me, and I've had open conversations with you know the Storm coaches in the past and and and, and Eloise about how, saying how they want to come in and shut me down. Um, but I I love to welcome that, and I know it's going to be a good game, and everyone's going to like at the end of the day, the better team's going to win. Um, so no, it's just it's exciting, and I think what's cool is too is the way the games kind of grow and technically as well, um, you know, so obviously kicking games, crossfield kicks and all that kind of stuff come into the game now and um, so we're just trying to this week is just really focus on, you know, getting confidence in the group and, and just being smart around how we did but we, and getting real clear clarity leading into the final but we're not going to do anything um, too different to what we've been doing all season. Now, how important uh, is a strike weapon going forward for you as Amy Duplessis? Oh yeah, she's fantastic. I mean, I've never met anyone that's got a work rate like her. Um, but her ability to to make a tackle, get up, get to get to a get to an edge, make another tackle, or um, you know, and her ball running like that try she scored last weekend with that short ball off Shante Poko, like that's 
that's quality of rugby that you need from your midfielders. And you know, she's she brings so much energy this week. She's far, she's on cloud nine this week. She's bringing a lot of energy into our group. And um, yeah, she's got a, a massive future, I believe. Um, she's fit. And she works hard, and she's just an all good round human as well. So I know she'll 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 go well. Good humans are always good to have in your teammate. Um, you, you were you were five three up against Welly at half time. It was a tight game. What was said in the sheds, and and what do you think changed in the second half for you guys to dominate and keep them scoreless? Um, I think for us it was more around the conditions. We went into that into half time. We weren't we weren't concerned. Um, all we knew it was tough to get out of that that wind. Um, so for us to one for them to only take you know take the three when they're down in our area when we're into the wind, we were pretty happy to be five three up at half half time. Um, the chat and the and you know at half time and the, and the sheds wasn't about changing too much. It was just making sure we just used the wind and just pin them down there. And I knew once we got down there. Um, you know, we're a dangerous attacking team. So once we got into the area, um, things just started falling back together, which was which was obviously a pleasure to kind of be part of and to be able to and to be able to change it up and be smart enough to kick kick and kick long too, which helped us pin the corners. Yeah. Now you've uh, you've obviously made the decision that this is going to be your last game for Canterbury, and then the end of the Rugby World Cup. That's you done in the Black Ferns jersey as well. You're just going to retire from rugby. Uh, what made you make that decision? What was the what was the trigger for that for you? Um, well, I think for me, it's just it's just been around working out that I'm ready. I'm ready to do it. I'm ready. I feel I'm on top of my game. I always wanted to retire when I'm on top. Um, I I feel like there's a younger generation. It's time for someone else to kind of come through and and leave this space. And um, you know, my body's still physically physically you know coping really really well. It's just obviously it gets a bit tougher mentally. And you think about what 16 years in high performance and 30 consecutive years of playing the game. Um, it's just it just takes it takes its toll a little bit, but um you know this year it's been quite crazy because I've actually thoroughly enjoyed um, enjoyed it and you know training full time is a, a lot easier than having to go to work and train and um, so that's one thing that I that I that I only got to experience a year of doing it, um, but I it just got to the point where it's just to me it was just I'm ready and it's just it's just the right time. Yeah, good stuff, Kendra. Thanks very much for giving us so much time today. I really appreciate it, mate. And I just want to say thank you from New Zealand rugby fans as well for everything you've given us in your career. I look forward to seeing you lead out the team in the Black Fern and best of luck in the Farah Palmer Cup final this weekend as well, eh? Awesome. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers. Kendra Coxhedge there out of Canterbury and, of course, the Black Ferns as well. That game this weekend against the Auckland Storm. Ken is uh, ready to go. He reckons the Storm can do it. A big Auckland fan is Ken. Thanks for your text. You can keep your texts coming through on double eight double three. This is SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Don't forget we have live coverage of the second Chapel Hadley from four o'clock right here on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11.26 on Mornings with Ian Smith. Chris has texted through on double eight double three the Temper Bedpost text machine saying, great interview, uh, hoping to have a bet on New Ze- the New Zealand women in the World Cup, but I can't find the option in the TAB. When will it be available? Cheers, Chris. Well, Chris, it is available. I've just looked it up. So if you go into the TAB website, you click on Rugby Union, and then it gives you uh, different competitions. Just click on International, and Women's World Cup is in there. Uh, there's only an outright winner market at the moment. 
But I can tell you this is what it looks like. Uh, England are the favourites at $1.50, then New Zealand at three twenty-five, then the French out at six fifty, which surprises me, uh, given how well I thought they played on the Northern uh, Tour when we, the uh, Black Ferns were up there at, la- at the end of last year. And then you go out to Canada at 21s, the Aussies at 51s, the US at 61s, and, and so on. But uh, yeah, the top three, England $1.50, New Zealand three twenty-five, France at $6.50. You can watch and bet live on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co. .nz. Please gamble responsibly. Now, I talked to Grace Wisniewski earlier today, and we've had news that Ava Pritchard today, just at 11 o'clock today, has signed also with the Wellington Phoenix. So the Phoenix continue to build their team for the upcoming A-League season. I also caught up with another new signing this week, Zoe McMeekin. She is a fullback, part of the New Zealand under-20 setup as well. The full interview is going to be up on our podcast site, but here's a taste of that interview. And I mean, in that position, the modern fullback, it's less a defensive role and more an attacking role now than it, than it's ever been. So mm. I guess a real big part of that game is learning to read the game and knowing when to go and when to stay. Yeah, definitely. And that sometimes, like last season, was hard to get the balance. Like you're always learning the balance because, yeah, you don't want to leave your team defensively, but it has definitely evolved and they want you nice and forward and be part of their attack, which is great for me because I love it. So, yeah. How much crossing practice do you do? <laughs> um, quite a bit. I, do, I would like to do a bit more, but I do enjoy, like, the feeling of a nice whipped ball in. Yeah, you can't really beat it. Yeah. And you'd be, you'd be, I imagine with Paige being in the squad this time around as well, Paige Satchel, yeah. uh, who's a, you know, I mean, man, she's got wheels for days. Um, yeah. yeah, playing balls up those lines, either either up the touch line or just in between the fullback and the and the centre-back is, is going to be something uh, that you might want to add to your locker. Yeah, definitely. I remember playing with her quite a while ago at like a Ferns camp or something, and it was really fun playing with her. And she's like evolved so much from then, and now she's like a threat on the ball as well, and then with the speed. So, yeah, she'll be really cool to watch and, yeah, play with. There you go. That is uh, new Phoenix signing Zoe McMeekin, part of the uh, Football Ferns Under-20 setup as well, and uh, she was a foundation player for the Phoenix last year. She's signed on to be part of it this year. You can catch the full interview with Wellington Phoenix fullback Zoe McMeekin on the SENZ app or wherever you get your podcast. Just search SENZ Mornings and you will find that. It is 11.29 and that means we're not too far away from Stumped. Uh, now, yesterday, I managed to stump Joey from Auckland. I think it was. Managed to stump him right on the last. So that means we've got a $100 TAB bonus bet up for grabs today. 0800 811 if you want to play. 0800 811 to play Stumped with me, Ricardo, in for Smithy here on SENZ Mornings. Uh, a through till next Tuesday, actually. Because uh, Smithy's a busy man over in Australia calling the Chapel Hadley series. 0800-150-811. Time for news and sport now with Aroha Hathaway. 1476am in Auckland. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. 
top class, and you'll hear that definitely on uh, Sky Sports coverage of the cricket. And of course, you can hear it as well on SCNZ with our own awesome panel of commentators. It is time for Stumped here on SCNZ Mornings with Ian Smith slash with Ricardo Ball and producer Logan Swinkles. Ricardo, you've you've done it a couple of times this week now, a couple of stumpings. Are you sort of feeling pretty good about your chances of late? Well, yeah, what I'm running at 66% this week, aren't I? Oh, you run the math. I like two, that. Two from three. Yeah. Two I'm, from three, so that's all right. Bit of a stats man myself, though, so I appreciate that. We'll see how we go. We wanted to get it up to 150, so maybe for Friday. We'll see how we go. Uh, but first on the line, we do have Murray from Christchurch. Come in, mate. Logan Ricardo, how are you? Good, mate. Good, you? Good, thank you. Hey, uh, so your categories today, Murray. We'll see how you go, yep. see how you like your chances. We've got rugby tennis and soccer football of course Ricardo's beloved sport that it is uh, how do you fancy your chances what are you looking at we'll never got the rugby eh? we'll get away from the soccer for Ricardo <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. All right. good luck mate here we go bit of rugby because these questions come from the incredible Brian there on the panel who looks after the phones whenever someone calls up. First question for you, Murray. Who currently leads the rugby championship? The All Blacks. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Of course, that wouldn't have been the correct answer a week ago, Ricardo. It wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been. Well done, Murray. Yeah, I mean, that... uh, that big win against the Pumas got that bonus point, so they lead by a point. But man, it's tight this year, isn't it? I don't think I've ever seen it where we've four games in and it's two and two. No, not at all. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. For a change, which is nice. Yeah, it is. It's nice that it's not all sewn up after, what, two or three matches in. There's actually some intrigue this season. So, second question for you, Murray. The All Blacks have won seven out of the nine rugby championships. How many have the Aussies won? One. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. That is correct. Back in 2015, so it's uh, it's it's been a while, Dave Rennie. It's been a while, as Stain would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's going back to my new middle days. I love it. Okay, <laughs> last question, Murray. Yeah, two for two. Uh, here, so here we go. Last one. Hundred dollar TAB bonus bet up for grabs. Who captained Australia in that 2015 Rugby Championship? Mm. I want to say John Eels, but I think I'm too late with that. Um, Take a stab. I'll give you five seconds. John Eels. I know it's not right, but I've got to go there. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Yeah, definitely not John Eels. Richie Benno definitely doesn't think that. <laughs> Over to you, Ricardo. David Pocock. One of the worst Ooh, things no. I have ever seen done on a cricket field. No, not Pocock. The answer I was looking for here, this was a really good question here. This was a good stumping one. Stephen Moore. Oh, the oh. old hooker. He's the hooker. Yeah. He look- I, I, win the, 
I wouldn't have got him. No, well, you, you didn't. Neither did I, mate. To be fair, he got, <laughs> he got, every time I saw Stephen Moore's mug on 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 telly, I just thought of Lex Luthor. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah. It's like that super villain with a bald head. I know. I know where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, mate, well done, though. I mean, um, you hit two out of the park, and then I missed the stumping on the last one, so that $100 TAB bonus bet's yours. Yeah, that's well earned. Thank you very much. Yeah, what are you, what are you, what are you liking, mate? What are you going to put it on? Oh, I actually can't see the cricketers getting beaten tonight. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, you reckon we, we, just, we, just, we didn't win the moments at the, at the, in the first one. There was, there was that, that many options we could have won that game. I th- Drop I, catches. Yeah, I think we got out. them five down and went, what do we do here? Yeah. <laughs> I think they kind of... But then the ball, the ball stopped swinging, didn't it? So that was the thing. That when we, we should have probably kept Bolt going, but we're not going to know that the, the wicket was going to stop swinging. Mm. Well, I think there was something the uh, the uh, the commentators like uh, Brent and Julian that were talking about. They were saying that, you know, look, um, if it gets a bit of dew on it, it could skid on and it'll make it easier to bat on. So, yeah. It was I'd love to know whether... I'd love to know whether they're playing on the new wicket or the old wicket today, though. Mm, yeah, we'll probably hopefully find that out sort of just before uh, before they start. We've got coverage here from 4 o'clock, mate, with Daniel McCarty and, and the Harry Jav, Grant Elliott, so yeah. um, hopefully they'll be they're able to bring you that. Yeah, cheers. I listen to them. They're great. Yeah, good stuff, Murray. Hey, thanks for calling in, mate. Really appreciate it. Have a good day, boys. Yeah, you too, mate. You too. There we go. So Stumped is gone. Logan? Yeah. Well, that's fine. I mean, you know... Muzza definitely earned that. Yeah. Uh, did he what? Did he what? Stephen Moore. That was a great question. Brian Radetti, stand up, because that was a great question, mate. Uh, certainly, <laughs> he's standing up. You can't see it. He but actually he, is standing, standing up. up. But you stumped Waiting me. for applause. You stumped me, Brian, so well done, mate. Well done. Maybe we should get Brian in here doing the stumpings. Um, we might have to do that at do some you, point. I, we here the last time we got uh, SNZ staffers to come into the studio and do stumped? No, I wasn't. Mm, yeah, I'll tell you what, it was not pretty. We had uh, we had Nephi and Jake come in, and uh, it was just swing and a miss. Constantly. Well, yeah. I mean, to be fair, though, I mean, those two are just out of nappies, so <laughs> I mean, they don't they don't have a, not a lot going on, do they? To be fair. Yeah, that's a little harsh, but yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> um, you know, young people know a thing or two about sport as well. Probably haven't been around and probably uh, haven't seen as much as uh, the likes of you or I. But well, that's what I'm saying because a lot of these questions, you know, sort of the answers are from 20 years ago, right? And those guys were born 20 years ago, so. <laughs> The the thing that I really enjoy about this Stephen Moore question is the way the Wallabies chopped and changed the captaincy around that era. Mm. I was just thinking, you know, I mean, I, I know that Murray had gone Eels, but that was, you know, a, a generation prior. But I was thinking Pooper, mm. you know how they used to call Pocock and Hooper Pooper? And I was like, that was po- that was the height of Pooper and Pocock was the senior of the two. That's why I went him. Yeah, that's I thought I was I thought I was bang on there. But no, Stephen Moore completely missed that completely. Yeah, so well done to you, Murray. And, of course, uh, you can try again tomorrow just before 11.30. Call in to us here on SCNZ Radio. And Brian will take you. And we'll, we'll see how we go with uh, a bit of stumping because we'll be back to $50 for the weekend. Yeah, indeed. Uh, keep your text rolling in too. 0800 150 811 is our phone number. Double eight double three. the temper bedpost text machine. When we come back, we're going to be talking greyhounds. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's the Great Greyhound Racing New Zealand Charity Run. 
Yes, the Greyhounds are racing, of course, and we have the Greyhound Racing New Zealand charity run. We pick a Greyhound to raise funds for the Women's Refuge. Uh, we, I don't know how we've been going, actually, Logan. I don't, I don't know how our, our picks have been doing in terms of uh, against the other shows uh, and how, how successful we've been, but uh, you can join us each week as we try and raise funds for our four New Zealand charities, all thanks to Greyhound Racing New Zealand. Uh, we are looking at at Addington tomorrow, race five, number five. Race five, number five tomorrow at Addington. Impressive Sonic, trained by uh, John McInnery. Um It's uh, one last time out, uh, Impressive Sonic. So that is our pick for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's charity run for tomorrow. If it wins or places, all the winnings go to Women's Refuge. Now, we were talking earlier about the NRL and Peter Volandis and their decision to allow Ty, uh, Tyler May to play in the finals. He's been suspended for two games because he's actually been convicted in a court of assault causing grievous bodily harm, or sorry, actual bodily harm, not grievous, actual bodily harm. Uh, let me get that right. But he's been convicted. They've said that he can serve that suspension in round one and two Next season, um, I think it's absolute rubbish. Um, and I know that James Regan that we've had on uh, on earlier and uh, Aidan McLaughlin as well were agreeing with me. In fact, lots of people were agreeing with me. I know that last night on NRL's 360, uh, they were all agreeing with that. And it's proved not to be a particularly popular move by Peter Volandi's slogan. No, it sure hasn't. Uh, and you say rounds one and two for next season, right? Mm. What are the chances that they're now going to try and employ what I like to call the Latrell Mitchell loophole and get him selected into the Indigenous All-Stars uh, match there? And That's going to be played in New Zealand. Oh, And that on. counts. Yeah, that counts. So he's now only suspended for one round. Hmm. It would not surprise me in the, in no. the slightest. Uh, this is uh, NRL 360 last night talking about the Taylor May situation. The NRL, under some system that has never been applied before, are allowing him to serve a two-game suspension in rounds one and two next year rather than right now because some, for some reason, and this has happened over the last summer, they've, they've decided that finals games are worth more than normal games. So therefore he can do that. So it's the old now buy now, pay later scheme. It is absolutely ridiculous. It's an indictment on the management of the NRL who do not know what they are doing that this is allowed to happen. How couldn't they just... I rang the NRL today and I said to them, I asked why. Yeah. Graham Annesley had no idea it was coming. I spoke to others at the, at the NRL. They said, look, the belief is... Finals games are more valued than home and away games, therefore we're allowing him to do that. I said, well, if that's the case, why not just make him serve one finals game now when the offence has been handed down? Mm. And they said, that's a valid point, can't answer that. Mm. They, didn't right? think, they didn't think about it? Oh, probably not, Bray. Like, honestly, it's so embarrassing that you can basically pick and choose now when to serve your suspension. What mm. happens next year? What happens next year when you get suspended for something and you say, well, you know what, we're playing Melbourne this week, so I'd actually like to play Melbourne because the week after we've got the West Tigers or the Gold Coast and I'll serve my suspension then. It is, it is so out of the realms of what is the integrity of sport, it is embarrassing for the code that they've, I, they've done I'll this. I'll tell you who's quite bemused by it, it's the Parramatta Reels. 
who mm. faced the Panthers this weekend. When the news came through, the Eels shook their head. They couldn't mm. believe it. They weren't the only ones, Dave. No, no, of course, of course. And to the point where is it, is it, is it a green light for any player to commit a criminal offence through this final series, so long as the fine doesn't yeah. reach over $1,000, you well, won't miss a finals game? Yeah, there you go. Some questions posed uh, around the Taylor May situation. Um, and, uh, yeah, Logan and I were just talking off here. Not sure if he actually qualifies for the All-Stars, so we'll have to see on that front if they do play that. Now, uh, of course, this does affect Parramatta as well because they are the opponents on Friday night. This is what uh, Captain Clint Gutherson said about uh, the Paul Finals record. Parramatta, they have a couple of hoodoos to overcome if they're going to lift their first trophy since 1986. The Eels' record in finals is far from flattering, with just two victories in their last eight finals games. There's also issues around consistency. Their longest winning run is three games twice in 2022. The last time Parramatta strung four victories together was early last season. If you let it get on top of you, it's going to be, it's going to be hard and it's going to hold you back. But um, look, you got to embrace it. As you said, you talk about it at the start of the year, during the year, finals time. You, you're always going to hear about it, but it's about embracing it and using it as motivation. And um, that's what we're doing, and that's what we're trying to do. Now, Ricardo, I kept in that bit about where they mentioned on Fox Sports News that it was been what 1986, so 36 mm. years for Parramatta. Just just to be a little friendly reminder. To you, because you're not the only uh, Parramatta fan that I know who's been suffering. Yes. So thanks, thanks for that. You're yeah. welcome. <laughs> yeah, you know, Lavina will probably appreciate that as well. If she's if she's listening in from Bali or wherever she is at the moment, she has been living it up. Indeed. Well, who can blame her? Who can blame her? Actually, looking at the market, the uh, it's the eels have come in a bit. The, obviously, the Voss factor has uh, has has come in. Uh, the eel was brand Andrew Voss. Uh, if you missed this the other day, we were talking about it. It's called the Eels ten times this season, and they've won all ten. He is calling the game Friday night. Uh, the Eels were, I think, three twenty when the market opened. They're into two ninety five, and the Panthers are paying a dollar thirty eight. That is the head to head market. You did ask for a press conference. Uh, mm. I'm a little disappointed. That that didn't happen. A little bit more of a song and dance wasn't made of that fact. I guess we're doing that here right now. But uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that match tomorrow night. Uh, it's going to be one that I, I don't like to stay at for a lot of the Aussie games because you know they start at like ten o'clock. I've got a kid at home, you know, so there's every chance that I'm going to have a terrible night's sleep. Mm. But a match like that, I think, is worth staying up for. Yeah, definitely, mate. Wait till you, you, they get to the age of mine. She she I can't get her up in the mornings. So that's fine. So it's not a problem. She doesn't. She doesn't do that anymore. So that's great. Uh, I tell you what. I, I reckon the Raiders are worth a, a look as well. If 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 you're uh, on the TAB, paying three ten to beat the Storm or a dollar thirty five. Raiders have won their last four in Melbourne. So you know, take take that with a pinch of salt, given it is playoffs time. But uh, I think that's worth a look. And then the Sharks are a dollar seventy favourites to beat the Cowboys at two eleven, and the Roosters a dollar fifty eight to beat the Rabbitohs at two dollars thirty. That is the NRL market for you. It is eight away from midday when we come back. Mark Stafford will be in. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato, and aioli. So we doubled it: chicken and Macca's together, and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.